Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and before we get started today on this week's episode of GovComs, I've got a favor to ask. Go to the description in the podcast and you will see a link to Content Group's third annual survey. If you fill that out, we'll do a better job in servicing you and you might win a Samsung Galaxy Tab. Welcome to the GovComs podcast bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me. Today, we're joined by a superstar of the global content marketing world. This man knows content marketing. I first came across Robert Rose when he and Joe Polizzi put out a little book called Managing Content Marketing way back in 2011. Robert is really one of the founders of the global content marketing movement along with Joe Polizzi. And I remember coming across the work of these two all the way back then, and and saying to myself, this is it. This is what we're talking about. This this process of being able to tell authentic stories, to be able to use journalism-like skills, to be able to tell the stories of our brands, of our government departments, of our agencies. And you know that that's what we do week in and week out. So Robert has been there right from the beginning. Now, he has a storied past in communications, which goes way back to his days, um, where he born and raised in Texas, and he's been in the communications business for many, many years. Well, now he is working in his own content marketing business, and it's called Content Advisory. And over the last five years, Robert has been advising a number of the, the top companies in the world, 15 of which are part of the Fortune 100, including Ernst & Young, Dell, Hewlett-Packard, Microsoft, and Thomson Reuters. Now, most recently, he has been the host and really the programmer for this year's Content Marketing World. So as you all know, I often talk about Content Marketing World and the Content Marketing Institute and the impact that it's had on Content Group and the way we think about the way we tell the stories of our clients. But what I'm really interested in talking to Robert about today is what happened this year, because for the second year in a row, I wasn't able to be there, but I'd been there to all the others uh, prior to that. So I wasn't there this year. Robert was. He joins me now from his home in Los Angeles. Robert, thanks very much for joining me on GovComs. Oh my God, it's so great to be here. I, I mean, that, holy smokers, that was such a great introduction. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm all a flutter here in LA. <laughs> but it, but it, well, let, let's quickly, before we get into this year, it's been such a great journey. And you think back to that little orange book that was yeah. such a, 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 you know, a seminal part of the history of content marketing and the movement of content marketing, because it was the, 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 to my way of thinking anyway, that first book that really started to take the steps out. And even when you go back to it today, it still holds true. Well, I, I mean, I, you know, thank you for that. I wish somebody would tell my publisher that, you know, <laughs> that it didn't sell as well as you're making it sound. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, early on, we liked to call it the the owner's manual for the process of content marketing. And Forever and a day, you know, our our contention has been 
that, you know, the idea of content in the business, because, you know, you, the, the word content, you know, you say it so many times and it starts to lose its meaning, but truly our, you know, our, our, our hypothesis was that content as a function in the business could be as important as legal or accounting or marketing or any other strategic function that you put into the business and perhaps even more so. And so, you know, especially as it pertains to the public sector, we have seen content become such an important part of the way that we deliver value to our constituencies. And so for us, it's always been one of the most important things to do. And, and, um, you know, lucky for me, it's kept me busy that, uh, that, that a lot of companies and a lot of, you know, nonprofits and, uh, you know, government organizations are still trying to figure out how to actually do this. And, uh, it's been a, you know, it's been a wild ride over the last, you know, seven and a half, almost eight years. So in terms of where we've arrived, and I suppose this is the insights that I'm, I'm hoping we can really drill down in to today and really take the learning out of content marketing world this year, where you had, uh, again, over 4,000 people from all over the world, business to consumer, business to business, government, public sector people, all in Cleveland trying to understand what's now and what's next. What when, when you sort of left this year's conference and you came away, having the experience that you've got, what were some of the things that struck you about where we are in this content journey? I think the two the, – the, well, I'll point to one for sure and then there's probably a second one that's a, a subset of that. And the, the first one is I think we're finally at a place where we can say the business case has been made. Um, there wasn't any real pushback from when we – you know. and by the way, our, our latest research shows this as well where – the, the idea of should we do something has that ship has sailed. The idea is, yes, we should absolutely do something. The challenge and this was really just something that came through in every, you know, every talk, every keynote and all of the research that we introduced at the event was, OK, we're doing something. But now how do we scale it? Because so many businesses and nonprofits and government organizations are simply scaling it by doing one of two things. They're either piling more and more content onto the pile by adding freelancers or by having people write shorter amounts of content or trying to short circuit it in some way, or they're just throwing more people at it. And, and, and what they're finding is, is that scalability and effectiveness are two very difficult balances to strike. And so the, the real theme and challenge that we're seeing these days is how do I smartly scale, you know, in, in a world where I have to raise my noise versus signal level to a point where I'm differentiating my experiences to deliver that value we're trying to deliver in a world of mobile and social and fragmented audiences and all of that, but do so at a scale that actually meets the, the, the requirements of my, my operation. And that's a really hard thing to do these days. The second subset that I would put into that is the quality itself. The word that we kept hearing over and over again at this year's conference was empathy. And how can we start to take more of the audience's feelings and emotional state into account? 
here in the U.S., for sure, it's it's you know, it's it's very, very pointed, this idea of trust and trust in the media and where we are with trust in our major institutions, especially here in the U.S. and our national government. And so what we found in our research is one of the biggest concerns on both the consumer side as well as the marketer side is public trust in the media, the mainstream media, is at an all-time low. And so people are looking for alternative places to get trusted content, but it's a real hard challenge now to get that empathy and to get that trust with, um, with the consumers because there's such a high degree of skepticism there. So it's that it's really hard to develop high quality, trustworthy content and do it at scale. Interesting. Okay, so let's go back to that. Well, the the first one, you know, this notion that the business case has been made, that everyone understands the factors of media production and distribution have been democratized. This is the tool that you now have. Um, In order for you to achieve your business objectives, which is obviously a a critical point in all of this, that we must have a purpose for why we are creating our content. But getting to that point of how, what were some of the things that people were saying about solving that particular problem? What are some of the best practices that you you heard or you understood to be um, that people can maybe take on into their uh, content creation uh, practices at, at the moment. What what is best practice in in being able to scale? You know the 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 one that I would point to is evolving the way that the governance model is constructed in producing content. And what I mean by that is that in most businesses, and this goes for government organizations as well, content is seen as an alternative form of marketing and communications. And so that means what we've done mentally, if not even literally, is we've replaced the brochure, replaced the press release, replaced the uh, catalog, replaced the website with what we are calling content. And so we become an asset producing machine and we just produce and produce and produce more assets and assets and assets and assets and ultimately at the end of a quarter or the end of the year we end up with this giant pile of assets that aren't connected in any thematic way and don't really have much to do with one another but because they were supported by quote unquote marketing or communications campaigns they sort of lived and died by how well we promoted them and instead what we're seeing is those that are creating teams and governance processes that look at content as uh, a product. In other words, creating these owned media experiences, whether you call them a resource center or a website or a magazine or a hub or whatever it is, looking at those thematically connected and strategically managed products of content as a means of drawing and building an audience. And in that way, it's a really subtle but important shift because what it happens is is that it transforms the content team from a reactive group in other words reacting to demands from the rest of the organization to say i need more of this and i need more of that and i need more of that rather into a strategic publishing or media organization where they're saying here's what we're going to produce now how do we balance the gap in other words here's what we're going to produce strategically says, yeah, we're going to produce a hub or a resource center or a magazine or whatever. And it's going to cover all these topics. And we're going to make sure that we cover it in a, in a very complete way. 
But we recognize that that won't satisfy 100% of what the organization needs. But does it support 60%? Does it support 70%? Does it support 55%? The higher we can make that percentage and the lower we can make the on-demand vending machine of content kind of feed that we need to support, that's when we're being strategic and that's when it can really that's when it can really scale. So what's your advice thing? Because it sounds to me like what you're saying is that it at when an organization, whether it's a you know public sector you know department or agency, and they've got their corporate plan, which has identified the objectives of that particular organization uh, over a particular period of time, it sounds to me that that's the time that you need the content team to be engaged with the support of the senior executive so they can then go out and understand the business lines and what needs to be done in the various business lines in order to achieve those business objectives. So it's precisely correct. Yeah. But what's your advice though, for people, how do they convince the executive that at this point in time, that that's the right time to engage the uh, content, uh, strategic content uh, managers, um, so as it, they can do their work then rather than, as you say, being reactive order takers at the end of the line where they're saying, you know, where they're not involved in those strategic um, discussions. And ultimately it's, you know, get me a brochure, get me a blog series, I need some video. And we start, you know, as you say, running around in the, uh, the you know, reactive asset producing role, which is largely ineffective and unsatisfying. Yeah. You know, I, I I think so. There's two. I think there's two attributes to your question, which which should be addressed. And the first is how do we argue for a strategy itself? Um, in other words, how do we convince our boss that you know a strategic approach is a better approach than uh, than just producing those assets? Which seems like a weird thing to have to argue for. Yeah. You know, should we do things in an organized way or should we just half-ass? Well, it, well, it, well so, it's, it's interesting. In generally in government. And public sector, um, we often refer to the communication area being described as the colouring in department. You know, they're, they're not taken seriously by the policymakers who are doing the heavy thinking and you know the, the you know the at that engagement level to understand what's going. It's it's they're order, they're order takers at the end of the line to you know here's what it is, make it pretty and get it out there and make sure that people understand. You know, there's there's not that value and there's not that understanding of the value that they can potentially uh, produce by other people who are, you know, notionally higher up the line. Yeah. And that's, you know, and so there's, you know, the, 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 the two parts of that, of course, are the personalities and culture, you know, and as, you know, whoever it was, I think it was Drucker who said, you know, 60 years ago, strategy or culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so, some of that can be solved with a process and some of it's just going to be like, yeah, that guy's a jerk and he's going to, he's not going to let us into the meeting before, you know, they have to create the thing. Um, but as we start looking at that, we start saying, okay, let's create a strategy because really the, the idea of putting a strategy around it, as I, I said this to a CFO the other day, he was saying, you know why we don't get it. I don't really understand this whole content thing. Tell me why it's important and tell me why I should have a strategy. And I said, look, are you producing more or less content these days? And he said, well, of course we're producing more. And I said, right. I said, so that's a cost. And he said, yes. I said, okay. So even if the only reason to create a content strategy is to get your arms around the cost of something that, by the way, you're producing more of than anything else you produce in the business, 
Content is the one thing that whether you're a government organization or a B2B or a B2C company, you produce more content than the product or service that you put into the marketplace. So the thing that you produce more of than anything else and is scaling and is a real cost, I said, doesn't it make sense, even if the only benefit is to get your arms around the cost and maintain that cost, doesn't it make sense to put a strategy around it? And he said, well, yes, okay, I get that. And I said, great, now we're agreed that you need a strategy. Now we're only disagreed, maybe, on how many more benefits. So if we are going to get our arms around the cost, we should have the content team be involved early on as the ideas are being formulated so that we can develop even just a better bill of materials around all of the assets that are going to get created at the back end of this so that we're not duplicating content, so that we're not recreating the wheel each time, so that we're not wasting channels and wasting and copying and pasting and managing things in an inefficient way. That gets our heads around the cost. And maybe, just maybe, if we're involved in the strategic ideation and creation part early, we can also lend a hand into where the opportunities might lie of other things that are already being created that could actually suffice to say, meet the demand that you've got. In other words, can we combine these two things to create a better book or a better platform or just shift it slightly so that we're actually addressing more than one strategy at a time? All of those things makes basically say, should content practitioners and the content team be in, invited to the creation process earlier rather than just making it pretty and distributing it out because at that point all they're doing is is making lots of little things and it's just it's just easier uh it's just easier and better from both a cost and maybe depending on your talent the creative strategic side to do it early on and most if you if you present it that way most leaders in business and and the leaders in certainly in the government space that i've said can sort of nod their head and go okay now it's just a question of who and how and when we put those people in the room together because now all of a sudden we've made we, – it feels like we've made more process and bureaucracy when in fact what we find is the exact opposite. By including those content teams earlier and putting that governance and that process in, we find the number of content meetings actually goes down. The number of agencies goes down. The number of the number of iterations and duplications go down, and so it actually reduces the overages instead of increases them. Yeah, but again, I suppose this is another part of that that the content people have to have the capability to be able to contribute at that strategic level. So, do you? What's your general view on that? Do you think that there are that they can, there is that quality of people who are capable of making a contribution at the highest levels of the C-suite or is is the lack of depth in that area a problem? Well, I think there should be a C-suite role for content. I mean, again, it's the thing that we produce more of as a business these days than anything else. And so there should be a C-suite. It's what I, it's typically wherever content sits as a function in the business. And I believe it should sit somewhere. Um, the idea is is that there is – I sort of have the – I call it the arbiter of good, right? So without that, you know, a, a perfect example, a university. And I had these two people at a university come up to me at the end of a workshop and they were, they were so excited because they put in a content strategy and, uh, and, and – or what they thought was a content strategy. And they came up to me and they said, we're excited. We've got this new – 
we're, we now control the channels. We now actually control the website and our blog and our resource center. And I said, that's fantastic. Tell me about that. And they said, well, all the professors, all of the employees, the teachers, all of the, the people, the subject matter experts that are creating this wonderful content, they send us all the content and we publish it out to all the channels. And I said, great. I said, who tells the professors or the teachers or the subject matter experts? No. And they looked at me and they kind of tilted their head like my dog does when they can't figure out the sound I'm making. And they went, what do you mean? And I said, well, who says no or this isn't good enough or this needs to be changed or this is not going to get published? And they say, oh, no, we don't do that. Everything we get gets published. And I said, well, then you don't have a content strategy. You're just a dam and you're just controlling the flow of water into the lake. And so – if all you do is control the flow of water into the lake, you are not a strategic person. You are simply a dam. And thus, there has to be, in order for content strategy to truly be useful, an art, what I call the arbiter of good, someone who can actually say no. And if that's someone who has to be at the C-suite, so be it. But it also needs to be someone who actually is, does have that level of control. It's interesting, and this probably moves us into another area that we often get to discussing on this podcast, which is around, uh, you know, the creation of content. And as you've uh, articulated there, that it, it is something that we create enormous amounts of. And in organisations, it's not just the people who are working in the communications areas who are creating it. It's being created in all sorts of places. So what's your your advice as to... Obviously, the strategy is so fundamentally important to be able to make sure that the content that's being created uh, and distributed is being created and distributed for a purpose and towards a particular objective. But how how would you then advise those people who are then working with the professors to give them the guidance that they need to make sure that the content they're creating is valuable and is useful and is relevant? That's the, that's the key, Right. Is because and you just and you just articulated it perfectly, which is the mistake that the two people at the university made was they set themselves up to be the reactive recipient of content instead of the proactive creator of a calendar. Yeah. In other words, what they should be doing instead is going out to all of the professors and subject matter experts and not saying, do you have content, but rather to say, here's our strategic calendar and here's what we need you to write about. And here's what we need you to produce content on. And when the professors go, well, we don't want to write about that. I'd much rather write about this. They, they need the ability, and this is where they need the power. They need the responsibility as well as the power to say, well, that's fine, but that's not going to be published until November of this year. And so we'd love to have that piece, but we're not going to publish it until November. Or we're not ever going to publish a piece on that. You should go find another venue for that. And so – it's the strategy part of content strategy that's important, um, which is to say we have to – as the content team, we have to feel like we have a calendar and a roadmap and an editorial plan to say this is where we want to be to meet that goal. Thus, we need content to be able to fill that to meet that goal. The subject matter experts, the professors, the whoever it is, they will be our resource. So we go to them and we meet with them and we say – here is our plan. Here is what we want to present. How can you help us fulfill on that? That's when you start getting consistency. That's when you can start building a pipeline of content 
And that's when you can start being a true strategic resource. And by the way, going back to our previous conversation, that's the way it scales, right? That's the way, that's the way you get scalability is when you're working 12 and 15 and 18 weeks ahead of schedule, instead of being reactive to you're already late by the time you open up Microsoft Word and start typing, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's just a different mindset. <laughs> I, I I can just imagine people sit now listening, thinking, uh, you know, they're sitting down now. They're you know maybe they'll walk, but it's because it 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 can get overwhelming, can't it? Particularly in these oh. big organisations where there's so much to do, there's so much ambition, there's there's so much capability that you know it seems so easy that we can just whiz up some content, you know, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a blog or whether it's a video or whether, and we've got so many choices around. Uh, you know, distribution. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Rose. And finishing there, the end of part one, on a pretty reasonable point about the importance of strategy. And if you don't have strategy, things just pile up and that dam of content just builds up and you really do need to be thinking about, is it relevant? How do I distribute it? For what purpose? And is it driving towards a business objective. So there you go. Um, Robert Rose, that's the end of part one. If there's so much value in Robert is what he has had to say is that we've decided to make it a, a two-parter. So really where we are at the moment is obviously that first step of content communication and content marketing is, you know, you need to know your content, but the more valuable second step is knowing when to use it and making sure that it's timely. And bringing your audience in and giving them something that they can relate to, but also using empathy to really build that connection. Anyway, that's it for this week. And I hope you look forward to part two with Robert Rose when we explore actually implementing your content strategy, looking for the content types that will actually work for you and expanding a little bit more just about empathy and how Robert uses empathy to engage and understand audiences. And I'm, I'm sure that you'll, you'll really look forward to that. But for the moment, thanks very much for turning up this week. I'll be back at the same time next week. So it's bye for now. Hey, listen, just before you go, I've got something else for you. Technology has changed the way the world communicates. But technology, more importantly than that, has democratized the factors of media production and distribution. And whether you like it or not, you are now in the media business. But how do you make the most of that? Well, you apply Content Group's Content Communication Framework, and we are starting to teach the Content Communication Framework to people who work in the government and the public sector. There are all sorts of benefits that will flow to your organization, but it's all about gripping up that opportunity, helping you to create better stories, helping you to time when those stories, helping you to understand what channels are best, and then how do you measure and evaluate just exactly what success you're having. Join us in Canberra. We've got two dates, the 18th of October and also Wednesday the 24th of October jump online to www.contentgroup.com.au to register it would be great to see you here you will not regret it I promise you that you've been listening to the GovComs podcast If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.